Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Build Your Network, episode 68. Hey, this is Omar Zenom from The $100 MBA Show. If you want to get the rundown on how I built my inner circle, you should listen to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. You have the ambition, the knowledge, and the experience, but still lack those relationships necessary for achieving true success. Welcome to Build Your Network, your guide to growing your inner circle, increasing your influence, and assisting others in reaching their goals. This is networking the way it should be, brought to you by your host, Travis Chappell. What is up and welcome to the one and only show that brings you tips and tricks on networking from the best experts around three days a week. Although they may not all be in the same field, every guest that comes on the show has one very important thing in common. They believe, as I do, that building relationships is crucial to achieving success in life. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but first, Build Your Network is supported by CastBox, the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on iOS and Android. CastBox has over 50 million free episodes that more than 10 million users download and listen to wherever, whenever. And now for all Build Your Network listeners, once you've downloaded the CastBox app, click Go Premium and enter promo code 90 days to get three free months of premium features. Head on over to the app store store or Google Play Store to download CastBox now. 
And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, Omar Zenholm. Omar is the co-founder of The $100 MBA, the largest alternative business education online. He's also the host of an iTunes Best of 2014 podcast, The $100 MBA Show. The $100 MBA Show has delivered over 900 lessons and counting to over 50,000 daily listeners. Omar is also the co-founder of Webinar Ninja, an all-inclusive, easy-to-use webinar platform that allows you to create a webinar in 10 seconds flat. It's been known that Omar's biggest talents, though, are on the dance floor. Michael Jackson would be proud. Although, Omar, I have to say that you ditched us on our night out in Australia, so I can't vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, man. When we're at conferences and I'm speaking or something, I got to conserve my energy, make sure that I can deliver. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. We won't hold yeah. that against you, though. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, man. I'm really, really excited to have you on. Why don't you go and expound a little bit on that intro and then tell us more a little bit about yourself. Sure. First of all, thanks for having me. It's been great getting to know you, Travis, and I'm, I'm really pumped for your podcast. Love the topic. I'm the uh, co-founder of the $100 MBA show. Like you mentioned, the podcast, I've been doing that since 2014. It's daily 10-minute business lessons is what we do. We try to deliver actionable lessons for people to, you know, whether they're getting started, whether they're building their business, whether they're trying to, you know, replace their income. Our whole goal is that they go away after every episode, every short practical episode to take action and get better. So um, that's our podcast. And I run a software business, like you mentioned, Webinar Ninja, which is our webinar software since we've started uh, back in April 2014. It's been one of the biggest challenges of my life, but a lot of fun. And it's been great to grow that user base from only 150 users when we launched to now over 12,000. So wow. it's been a fun journey. So take us back before all of this. So you are, when you're in college and stuff, or when you're in high school, you probably didn't sit mm. there thinking like, I'm going to start a webinar business one day. So walk, <laughs> us, walk us through that process. Like what were you doing before this? And then yeah. what made you switch into the world of online entrepreneurship? That's an awesome question because... When I was in high school, when I was in college, I still I kind of wasn't sure what I wanted to do, like what I wanted to do as a career. And I started to get nervous. Like I was like, oh, man, I got to figure this thing out. And my father was in sales when I was growing up. So, you know, if anybody knows or had a parent who's in sales, you know, it's very up and down. One summer you're having your summer vacation at Disney World and the next summer it's in the backyard. Right. So it's like very, <laughs> it's very up and down. So yeah, I kind of. Yeah. I was, totally understand where you're coming from. My dad's been in real estate my whole life. So same, yeah, exactly. same boat here. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So like uh, immediately I was like, I don't know if I want to get into business or sales. I didn't want to be a doctor. So I just felt like, oh, I think I'm good at teaching. I think I would enjoy teaching. So I studied to become a teacher and I graduated with a master's in education as well. And I started teaching English as a second language. So when foreign students would come to the country, I would teach them English so they can be able to take their classes in English. And then I also went abroad. I was, worked in Dubai for over a decade teaching students over there. It was, it was a lot of fun. I say a lot of fun, but that was a little bit sarcastic. But I mean, <laughs> it was a lot of work. It was, a lot of, it was hard work because those students were fun to be around. But and I was I, I taught at the high school university level. I was a head of department for five years. So I got a lot of management experience in, in that journey. Mm -hmm. But while I was in education, while I was teaching, I was also just dabbling into this thing called the Internet. I started to use it when I was in university, was in college. And then I realized, you know, around 2000, 2001, I was like, mm, can you really like make money on this thing? Like it was just curiosity. I had no idea that I was even going to start any kind of business. I didn't even know what business is. I didn't even know what entrepreneurship meant. 
I just wanted to see, can you make a buck on this thing? And yeah. I, I had an eBay store where I basically did arbitrage, where I would put up photos of Air Jordans, you know, like the sneakers, mm -hmm. and I would find buyers, I mean sellers, the people that were selling their Jordans, and I would sell them on my site and get buyers. So basically I would make a difference of, of that sale. And I started to make money outside of my paycheck, and it was just like an incredible feeling. I was just like, what in the world? I'm making money outside of whatever money I'm making you know, waiting for my paycheck at the end of the month. Right. And it was just like this weird feeling of like being able to do that. So I just started getting intrigued. I mean, my uncle, my mom's brother was always in business and he always told us, you, know, you should start a business. It's something you should look into. And we all kind of ignored him. But I started to listen to him for some reason. And I'm around like 23 at this age, 23 years old. And every time he would visit me, he would give me like a book to read. And the first book he gave me to read was The Rich Dad, Poor Dad hmm. by Robert Kiyosaki. And and, you know, it's not the best written book in the world, but it kind of made me think about who are these people that just create things out of thin air and exactly, yeah, create yeah. their own businesses and make money. And it's like, it's just like this different world. To me, they seemed like, you know, rock stars before entrepreneurship was something that was popular. So that's kind of how I got started. I started building small businesses online and starting to discover like what kind of business person I want to be and all this while I was working as a teacher. So... This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So I guess the question then is why? So why, if you felt like teaching was your calling or whatever, why make the switch into just making some money online? Was it more like freedom or was it just yeah. like this is something cool to figure out like did you lose touch at all with that desire to teach that's a good question no one's ever asked me that question i've been on so many podcasts like over 100 podcasts <laughs> the why question well that's a good question because i was actually 
like a baller at teaching. I was really good. I was like getting promoted every year. I was moving up on the ranks. I was the youngest head of department in the university I was working at. I was 25 and I was managing, you know, teachers that were twice my age, a team of 30 teachers, you know? So I definitely felt like I was doing well in my career. Like Mm -hmm. I felt like, yes, I'm doing it. I'm, you know, kind of living my career dreams. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, when you work in education, especially in education, there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of control. There's not a lot of autonomy. There's not a lot of freedom. There's not a lot of ways you can express your significance. You know, and I felt I got that in business, even as small as my businesses were online. I felt like, wow, I'm actually building things. I'm making things. I'm creating things. That's mine. I can point to and say that's mine forever. Like I built that site or I built that product Yeah. versus building something else for an institution. So I learned very early on that I'm very motivated by significance. Like I want to feel significant in the world or in any little way. In some way, I wanted to feel like I'm important to somebody or something or some movement or something like that. And I didn't get that from teaching because teaching is kind of like the military where like everybody is kind of working towards one goal and no one is special. Everybody's just working, you know, clocking in, clocking out. Right. And even though I'm somebody's manager, it's kind of you're just another cog in the wheel. So you think that it was more about significance than freedom, or do you think it was a combination of the two? I didn't really see the freedom piece of the puzzle until I actually started to make, you know, a level of money that I saw, oh, wow, I can maybe replace my income, you know, because I wasn't making enough money on the side yet to really see this thing as something like this financial freedom, you know, type of thing that, and you have to remember, like, I started in 2001, 2002, this is before PayPal, you know, WordPress before any of this kind of stuff. So there was none of these blogs of like lifestyle entrepreneurship that we see that's very prevalent today that right, we're kind of right. sick of right now. But the point is, is that, you know, I never got to see that as a lifestyle. I mean, I read for our work week well after I've read a whole bunch of other books that no one ever heard of, you know, because they're not as popular or sexy as the bestsellers on the New York Times bestseller list. But you know, and well, after I've built businesses and things like that. So I remember reading that book. I was like, wow, I, I never even thought about that. I never even thought about, I thought business was build a great product, you know, build an audience, you know, cater to your audience, make sure that you serve them. And then that's how you get paid. Right. But I didn't really see the freedom pieces of it. It was definitely kind of like, I got a high out of creating something, even if it was just like an offer and somebody buying it. I just felt like, wow, I, I did that. Right. I don't know. It was right. just a weird weird thing. Do you think that that's something that you learned after being in the workforce for a while? Or do you think that's something you were just born with? I got it in drips and drabs in teaching where I would, you know, maybe build a training course for teachers, you know, for classroom management or something. And I get to teach that course. But I really didn't feel the impact. The only kind of, I guess, return on investment I would get is people after the training would be like, hey, uh, loved your training. That was good. That really helped. Thanks for those tips. And that would feel good. But it wasn't really mine. I was doing it for the institution. And if I left the next day, if I went to another place, you know, they're going to take that curriculum and use it and give it to somebody else to teach and train the teachers. Right. So I kind of got it. And I think when I got a taste of it at a higher level in business, I felt like, oh, wow, this is really cool. I get to really build something and and I guess take full credit for it and really feel like ownership over it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so, so key there. So now we're talking about all this. Let's fast forward a few years. 
And mm-hmm. now you're sitting there and you created a podcast before the hundred dollar MBA show, right? Yeah. Talk to us about that one and kind of some of the lessons that you took into the hundred dollar MBA show to make it to the success that it's been today. Sure. So Nicole, my wife and co-founder, we really loved podcasts as listeners. Like we listened to podcasts really early on. And we went to a conference called the New Media Expo Conference in Vegas at the time. And, you know, podcasting was just starting out. I think it was like 2012 or 2013, like not starting out, but it started to become popular. People were like, oh, you should start a podcast. This is like the new medium. It's like the new YouTube, all that stuff. Right. And we're like, oh, cool. Like at that conference, we realized, oh, it's not that difficult to create a podcast or like it's not as complicated as we thought it was. So what we did is we were interviewing entrepreneurs on video, like with Skype calls and including it as a part of our $100 MBA course. And we got to interview some really great entrepreneurs, including like people like Gary Vaynerchuk and Grant Peel, people like that. And it was really, really great to get to know these people, even for a short period of time. But people were like giving us this weird advice, like, oh, you already have these interviews, just rip the audio out. And make it a podcast. You're like, oh, wow, you could do that. We can repurpose it. Great. Obviously, that's not how podcasting works. You know, video lends itself for visuals. And, you know, we're gesturing to things that don't even matter on audio. And the point is, is that like it was just, you know, you can't half-ass it. It wasn't so great. I mean, the podcast was called People Who Know Their SHIT. And mm. it was crap. You know, it wasn't great. And unfortunately, we tried it for 46 episodes. And then we interviewed people just audio podcast style. You know, we stopped doing the ripping of the audio and we really tried to make it succeed, but it wasn't really getting the traction we wanted. You know, I think on the best day of our lives, we had like 400 downloads and that's not a bad thing, especially if you're comparing it to like blog posts. A lot of people don't get 400 visitors on a blog post. So, but it wasn't what we were looking for in terms of growth. So after 46 episodes, we decided, okay, we need to regroup. Why is this not working? Why is this not, you know, getting the traction we want? And Nicole and I were on a road trip. We had a gig in New York. So we, f- we were in San Diego at the time. We were living in San Diego and we drove cross country and we had a lot of time in the open road to just like discuss this topic. And it was it was a little bit painful because we put a lot of work into this podcast and really tried it. I gave it a good go, but it wasn't working. So at the end, we kind of realized, you know, we're not really utilizing our strengths, you know, like I have, you know, at the time I had 13 years of teaching experience in the classroom. You know, both of us have masters in education and it's just like, okay, we should be teaching on the podcast. Why are we interviewing people? We're not good at interviewing. We don't have any kind of experience in that. When it comes to teaching, if I look at iTunes, I don't think there's anybody who could teach better than me. Hmm. So I should really leverage that strength. And I also noticed that a lot of people would ask me over the years, you know, oh, you built a website, you built a business. How do you do that? And it was all that kind of a getting started. How do you take it and monetize it? How do you make sure that you get to the point where it's your thing, where you actually live off your business? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we got the idea for the $100 MBA show. And the reason why it's called the $100 MBA show is because obviously we have a program called the $100 MBA. But, you know, I went to Wharton Business School and I was making the transition out of education into business Mm -hmm. because I thought I needed my MBA to feel like a real entrepreneur. And after one semester, my professor pulled me over and said, hey, what are you doing here? Like, you know, you're a little older than everybody else. And why are you getting your MBA? I said, oh, I'm getting my MBA so I can be a great entrepreneur. (laughs) And he was sure he just shook his head. He was kind of like disappointed and shocked, kind of like, you know, you don't get an MBA to be a great entrepreneur. You get an MBA so you can get like a middle management job at Morgan Stanley or like Goldman Sachs or something. And I was like, Oh, and he's like, yeah, you, you know, we don't have a monopoly on education. You can learn this stuff in other books. You can 
take this money and start a business and learn the hard way. You know, you already had businesses in the past. You're running a business. I was like, and it's kind of a light bulb moment for me. Like how many people are going to business school thinking they have to do that to learn business? And it was kind of like our answer to like the $100,000 investment people make in getting an MBA. So we started the $100 MBA. So we built the podcast with the same name and we really you know, spent two solid months doing nothing but producing this podcast. You know, we produced episode one like 10 or 12 times just to make sure it's right. And, you know, it's a daily podcast. So we had to really batch it as much as possible. So we had like 30 episodes before we even launched on launch day. And it was just a lot of fun building this podcast. And I, I knew when we were recording this podcast, that it's going to be a success because I just felt like this stuff is good. When you create something great, when you do something great, I mean, you played basketball, Travis, like when you know you're shooting a shot that's going to go in, you know, it's going to go in. You just know it's coming off your hands. Right. Right. And that's how we felt with the show before we even released it. So when it was successful and and then after four months, we won best of iTunes. I mean, that was incredible for us because we were nobodies. No one knew we were in podcasting. And plus, it was a very competitive year. Tim Ferriss and Startup and all these people were amongst those podcasts that launched at the same time. And we only had four months to kind of get traction and and get Apple's attention. But I think we just focused on our strengths and were able to deliver. That's so, so key, so important is to double, triple down on your strengths. Stop worrying about getting decent at everything and just like focus on just getting really good at the things that you're already naturally really good at. And I like that you brought that up. One thing I really, I wanted to ask on really quick, and then we're going to switch the conversation to talk just about networking relationships and stuff. But how did you know, like, what was the line between giving up on your first podcast and just knowing that it wasn't going to work and being able to stop and move on? Because I think knowing that line is such a science because I think a lot of people will give up too soon, but I also think a lot of Mm. people will hold on too long and romanticize a connection with something and try to force it to work when the market just isn't taking it. Do you have any insights? Yeah. I mean, two things. One, you have to give anything you know, at least six months. And when I say six months, you got to give enough time every day to work on it. Like if you say, I want to start a business and you dedicate an hour a week, that's not enough. You know, you need to put in, you know, 10, 15 hours a week, at least 20 hours a week, you know, just to try to see if it's going to have traction and at least give it six months to see if it's got any kind of legs. The other thing you got to look at is trends. Like if the trend, like for us, the podcast, we saw the trend wasn't going up. Like we were, our listenership wasn't increasing. In fact, it was decreasing and that was continuing week after week. And we're like, okay, there's something we have to do because this is not working. You know, this is like, it's not like going up and down, up and down. It's just going down. So trends are something you have to look at. You got to see what's happening, whether that's sales or traffic or listenership or whatever it is. Perfect. Perfect. So let's go ahead and transition the conversation and talk a little bit more about relationship building and networking since this is build your network podcast where that's all we really want to focus on omar you have an incredible network of people and you're obviously a very educated person so i'm interested to hear you answer this question i ask it to just about every guest that comes on the show do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why i definitely say who you know just because you never know what's going to happen in life, in business. If you have a solid network, if you know the right people, they'll help you out. I know that like one of the things you're trying to do with this podcast is make people feel more comfortable with the idea of networking or your network. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that really helped me is I just saw it as trying to make friends. Like I'm just trying to make friends. I'm not trying to get anybody like, you know, like when I got to know the people I know, 
I just want people that are similar to me, they're running businesses, they have experiences, maybe they're a few steps ahead of me. You know, to me, those are compatible friends. Right. You know, I'm not looking to get something out of them or get them to endorse me or, you know, get on their YouTube show or whatever it is. You know, I'm just trying to make friends because it's nice to have friends, you know, that's it, you know, like, and the other thing is that I lost a lot of friends when I made this transition into business. Like we just drifted away because we don't have the same occupation anymore, whether it's teaching or I'm not in a nine to five, so I can't relate to them anymore. So I needed to find new friends and I feel like that really helped. Perfect, perfect answer because that's why I think so many people are uncomfortable with networking because they think it's different than just building friendships and it's not, it's the same, it's the same thing. Omar, I don't think you and I talked about really anything in Australia besides basketball (laughs) or like something. And I was going to say, like, I would say Travis is my friend. I wouldn't say Travis is part of my network, right? like, or Jordan or he's just some people that were with us. Exactly. That I can point at people when they need this certain thing, you know, it's like, Hey, let's chat about, you know, playing against Allen Iverson when you were playing at Rutgers and stuff like that. Like that's what friends actually talk about. They connect on certain things in life. And it's not always just about, you know, like I was out of my league at those dinner tables as far as business goes. Like I could have sat there and asked you and Jordan and John Lee Dumas and Michael O'Neill. I could have sat there and asked you guys questions all night and had six notebooks full of notes on stuff that I needed to work on for my business. But instead it just, created friendships which yeah but that's a good example because like when we sat down and we were having dinners together or lunches together and you know i got to know you as a person and we started to just kind of have some banter i mean even if by the second day third day you started to ask me any kind of business questions first of all like i would never turn anybody around like away or say like leave me alone whatever you know right right. i would happy to answer anybody's questions but i'd be more eager to help a friend out because we're friends now like right. oh travis like no 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 like don't worry about these haters i'll help you out with this situation da, 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 da. right like if you came to me and said hey man I'm, how do you do with this situation or like i'm just curious you know yeah. and it, you're right it's a balance but like i would see it from the perspective is that people are more likely to want to help their friends out versus somebody they didn't know yet right right exactly <laughs> that's so so important and that's why i like that you brought up that distinction because i don't think that that should be a distinction between networking and building friendships and relationships i think that it's all one thing that goes in the same category. And I think a lot of people will separate their friendships from their business friendships. And I don't think it's Mm -hmm. about that. I think it's just creating genuine connections and relationships with people in general. And then do you think it has something to do with how people think as far as like short-term versus long-term? Because I think it just has so much to do with the fact that if it was me just trying to think about what ROI can I see on this relationship in the next Mm -hmm. week and a half, then obviously when we sat down, I would have asked you a ton of questions about business. But instead I'm thinking like, Hey, this seems like a really cool guy to get to know. We play basketball. That's something we have in common. Like, let's talk about Mm -hmm. that. Like it's an actual friendship. Do you think that that has a lot to do with it? The mindset of short-term versus long-term? It could be, but I think that if you are somebody who really has an ROI mindset, you would have, you know, the foresight to say, if I want to get an ROI, I should get to know this person first. I should really, if I want to get the best out of this person, even if you're being that calculated, you know, like I'm not saying that I don't want to taint people from trying to feel like they want to be people's friends before they want to ask for advice or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I want to say like, if you're smart enough to realize that, Hey, you know, no one wants to help a stranger out or somebody who's bothering them with all these questions at a conference. Cause 
I'm sure a lot of the speakers at these conferences get tons of questions as soon as they get off stage or before they get on stage and things like that. I want to just mention one quick thing, an example. Before I became somebody who was even asked to be on stage or be a speaker at a conference or anything like that, I went to conferences myself and I would go and look at the speakers and I would you know, try to get to know them or whatever. And one of the things I love to do is just watch the speakers at these conferences from afar. I wouldn't approach them. I wouldn't ask them, you know, kind of have a selfie or anything like that. I would just try to figure out how they deal with that situation. How do they talk to people that just bum rush the stage or talk to them after the conference or whatever? And I remember one conference I saw Chris Brogan, you know, like the whole time he's at the conference, somebody's coming up trying to shake his hand. Somebody's trying to talk like, like a rock star. Like it was just too much. Right. But the guy was such a gentle person with everybody, and he was just so kind to people and genuinely interested in him. And I was just like fascinated the way he was handling that with such grace. And I didn't ask him directly, but what I started to realize when I was watching him was this guy is is smart. He's quite intelligent because he realizes that these people that are coming up to him that are that want to take a picture with him, that want to ask him questions, that want to seek advice from him. These are the people that made his brand. This is why he exists. You know, like these people read his blog posts, they watch, you know, his videos, they listen to his podcast, they buy his products. They come to the conference because of him. So like he's smart enough to realize, you know, these are the people I need to serve and to treat well because they're the reason why I exist or have a business in the first place. Right. And to me, that was such a great learning experience and I never forgot it. And if I ever get the privilege in the future to be in, in that setting where I'm being asked questions or people are coming to me or, you know, asking me to give them advice. That's kind of my mindset. Like, you know, like I should be thankful that people actually want to hear me or talk to me or whatever, you know, like it's not, you know, I'm not some sort of prima donna here, you know? Right. Right. So looking back over the last four or five years of being in business and having the hundred dollar MBA show and then starting up webinar ninja and all these different things, is there a story you could tell us about a time when a connection that you made led to some sort of moment of success for you down the road? That's a good question. Let me think about that. When I was starting the $100 MBA, I was on a lot of blogs, a lot of communities. Uh, One of the blogs that I was on was called Think Traffic. It's now called Fizzle. And I met a guy named John Corcoran, who was a part of that community at Fizzle. And we just, we were kind of the same place where we, in terms of where we were in entrepreneurship, kind of like where we're at or in our stage. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of became friends and talked. And I mean, people who know John Corcoran, he's like the ultimate person with the ultimate network. Like he knows everybody. He introduces everybody to everybody. Yeah. He's a really cool, really cool guy. Yes. Awesome guy. And one time he got me, he sent an email out to just a whole bunch of people he knows is, Hey, if anybody's interested in learning about public speaking, you should definitely check out Creative Live is doing a public speaking thing with Michael Port. He's giving a two-day workshop. And if you want to be an audience member, you can sign up here. It's free, but obviously you'd have to pay your expenses to get there and all that stuff. So Nicole and I are like, oh, cool. This is cool. Thanks, John, for the heads up. And I applied. And then we went to the workshop for two days. And I got a chance to get to know Michael Port, who's a New York Times bestseller and somebody who runs a great program called Heroic Public Speaking best public speaker and best public speaker trainer I've ever seen. Him and his partner, Amy, are fantastic. Hmm. And I got to know him a little bit. I got a little bit of training from him, but then led me down this path where I started to learn how to become a better public speaker. On top of that, 
I started to become very close friends with Michael. Like I got to have dinner with him, similar to what you did. You know, you had dinner with us at a conference and, and I got to know him. We exchanged numbers like a couple months later. He was in Los Angeles. So I met up with him along with his business partner, Matthew Kimberly. We had dinner then and we just started to have a relationship where like to me, he was just like this way ahead of me in business. You know, this guy had like multiple bestsellers, Wall Street Journal bestsellers. You know, like I just felt like at the time I was just trying to make things happen, you know, and, right. yeah. and he just didn't treat me that way. He treated me as like a friend, as somebody who he just enjoys his company. And now Michael's like one of my closest friends. He's part of my mastermind and we talk frequently and like, you know, I just was part of his event last year and it was incredible how our relationship kind of built. And it's all because, you know, I got to know John and I was a part of this forum and a part of this group and fizzle and and it's just like, you just got to be open and just say yes to certain opportunities when they're presented sometimes. And, yeah. you know, you can call it luck, you can call it circumstances or whatever it is. But I think if you don't make an effort to be friends with people and to grow your network, then those opportunities will never be there. Right, right, exactly. So that being said, with especially that important of a relationship for you and your business and stuff like that, why do you think that so many people don't prioritize building relationships with people? Some people, it's not it's not comfortable for them. You know, my parents are Egyptian. You know, my parents migrated from Egypt to the U.S. in the 60s. If anybody knows anything about any about Egypt or Egyptians, they're very social people. They love to joke around. They're very mm -hmm. kind of gregarious bunch. So it just comes naturally from the way I was raised. Like, I want to get to know your story. I want to know who you are. What brings you here? That kind of thing. And just naturally want to be a conversationalist and, and learn more. But some people don't have that, and that's not bad or good. So they're kind of an introvert, and they don't really feel that it comes easy. So therefore, they tend to not do it, and therefore, maybe they kind of rationalize it by saying it's not important. Yeah. So what I say to that is that it's never been easier for introverts now with the Internet, you know, with being online, everything – you can network with people online with a lot of ease, whether it's Twitter or forums or Facebook or whatever it is, or groups or whatever you choose to have. It's really easy now to do from the comfort of your home in front of a screen. And it's a great primer. I mean, there's nothing like real life. There's nothing like meeting someone in real life. But there's so many people I've built relationships online with hmm. and then met them at a conference or met them in person or they're coming to my city and I invited them for dinner. And it's like, you quickly build that rapport because you already know each other, but it's a little bit uncomfortable for the first few minutes because it's the real thing, yeah. but, but it it's didn't great. match it's up great. with their profile picture or something like no, that? No, no, no. <laughs> so, because it's like, wow, it's like surreal kind of situation. Yeah, right, but, right, right. But it's definitely, a, you know, a skill I would highly recommend anybody cultivating. Not only that, but it encourages you to also be a better communicator and it gives you a chance to get a lot of practice under your belt with talking about what you do as an entrepreneur or your business or your podcast or whatever it is. A lot of us, we don't get a lot of practice doing that. We surround ourselves with people that are family and friends that really don't understand what you're doing or really work as something we don't talk about. We right. just talk about yeah. You know, life. So, so true, yeah. it's a good chance. You know, going to these conferences is a good chance to perfect your your elevator speech. I'm doing air quotes right now, but yeah. you know, but it's also just a good chance for you to feel comfortable talking about what you do. A lot of people either downplay, they say, Oh, I have this thing, e commerce store, blah, blah, blah. And they don't really know how to just say things with confidence. And it's important to do that because you should be proud of what you built. So you say you should definitely be working on this skill. How? How do we work on that? Give us one 
practical, actionable tip that we could take into the next event that we're at or the next time somebody asks what we do? What's a good tip that you would give to somebody on networking in general, how to build relationships the right way? Well, the first thing I would say is that if you know one person, even just one person in your network, just one person that does what you do or somebody like a John Corcoran, like I did in Fizzle, right? If you just know one person, ask them, hey, do you want to go to a conference together? Let's go to a conference together. I'm going to a conference on Friday called StarCon, and I got invited with a friend of mine who runs Product Hunt in Sydney. And I was like, okay, great, let's go together. And it's great to go together. You have like a wingman or wing woman, right? And you get a chance to experience and meet people together. I can introduce my friend to other people and he could do the same for me. Hmm. So I don't have to talk about myself. So that's a really good exercise is to like team up with somebody you know and say, hey, let's go to a conference together or let's join a forum together. Let's join a community together. How about we run a live event online together and we invite people to come and speak and we get to know them and talk to them. You know, having a podcast, an interview podcast like yours is a great way to network. It's an excuse to talk to people and people love telling their stories. So it's a great way to build your network. And that's why I never regret building that first podcast because I got to know so many great entrepreneurs I still know today and me, I just met some of them the other month or And we just laughed about those interviews and things like that. But it's a great way to meet people. So and again, you're doing it in the comfort of your home in front of your laptop. It's not that hard. But a buddy system is really helpful. Yeah, that's such a fantastic tip, too. I I like some of those ones that are maybe that's why I asked more for practicality instead of philosophically, because I have a lot of guests talk about the philosophy behind it, which is totally fine. I think it starts there, but sometimes it's just good to get that practical thing that we can do the next time. So I think that's fantastic advice. And then it's so much easier to talk yourself up through somebody else <laughs> instead yeah, of yeah. you sitting there like, you know, it, it just seems awkward to just stand there and brag about yourself for a th- And there's some people that are really great at it. You <laughs> yeah. should definitely try to get Clay A. Bear on the show. Actually, I'll, I'll do an email introduction if you'd like. Yeah. But Clay A. Bear, is, he's a great guy. He's a crowdfunding expert. And he's one of those guys that does a great job introducing you to other people. Hmm. So I used to make jokes whenever I see him at a conference or at a meetup or something. I'm like, I just like hang around with Clay. Clay, introduce me. Go ahead, <laughs> do it. Like, he's just really good at telling the story. And like, you know, I was really amazed by Omar. It's like, yeah, that's me. You know, <laughs> no, I was just joking, obviously. But, right, right. But, but uh, some people though, are great ed- at it. Ed- yeah, edification is a really powerful, powerful tool, especially when you're, it helps create a positive first impression, which, you know, first yeah. impressions are huge. So, yeah. But, but the reason why I share that is that if you don't feel comfortable talking about yourself, be that expert, that person, that clay a bear that goes and introduces people really well, you know, and that's something that you can become a really great networker or somebody who brings people together by being uh, praiseworthy. Throughout your career, Omar, how important, how crucial have closed mastermind groups or one-on-one mentorships been for you? I have to say, regardless of, you know, if we continued with that group or not, it was beneficial because anytime I had a mastermind group, I've had a few, five or six, I would say, over the course of the last, you know, seven years or so. And even if we stopped meeting and the, that group never kind of sustained, it wasn't because the group wasn't helpful or I didn't learn something. Sometimes you outgrow the group, whether mm-hmm. I outgrow it or somebody else in the group outgrows it and they stop coming and then therefore it kind of falls apart. And that's fine. No one says it has to last forever. But I think the best groups are the ones that commit to help each other, 
when you get to a group and, you know, I find that a smaller group is great. Four people, three people, five people max, I think is really good because it gives you enough time to, you know, discuss everybody's challenges and how you can. But if you start the mastermind by saying, guys, the purpose of this mastermind is so we all can help each other achieve our goals. That is huge because it kind of gives me a task. Okay, how can I help Michael? How can I help Jordan today? How can I, like when he's talking about his issues or talking about his challenges, I'm like, okay, great. How can I contribute? Can I introduce him to somebody? Can I share a story? Can I, whatever I need to do, whatever, can I get him on my podcast to help help him promote his launch or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. So I think that really helps. And I found the mastermind groups that do that is great rather than you know, if you start the mastermind group by saying, hey, we're just here to share things or we're here just to hold each other accountable, you know, that's not enough. I need to go there and feel like everybody in this group has my back. And the reason why is because if you can be completely honest about the challenges you're having, you're not going to be really discussing the real problems in your business or your real problems in your career or your project. Yeah. You're just going to be like chatting and just socializing. And you know, almost you really trying to brag to about the good things. Right. So you have to start with that premise. Like if you're not opening up and being honest, then we can't help you. And that's the whole point of the group. Hmm. Hmm. So much awesome stuff there, Omar. That's one thing that I, I try to have everybody do that listens to the show is my challenge to everybody listening right now in 2018, join some sort of a mastermind. If it's free, if it's paid, it mm. doesn't have to be a $30,000 thing. Just go join some sort of mastermind, something that stretches you a little bit that gets you in an uncomfortable situation that gets you to meet people and have that community because that community can be such a powerful thing for pushing you forward in your business, especially if you're like a solopreneur and trying to do it all by yourself. It's mm, so important definitely. to have, have it, like you said, Omar, it's have like having people have your back. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Right. You don't have to wait for it. Like the current mastermind I'm part of, I just, I had a hiatus where I didn't have a mastermind for like a year. I was kind of like, I would love to be a part of something that really pushed me and I was just like, why don't I just start one? Like, why am I waiting to be invited? Or why should I be looking for, hey, does anybody need an extra guy in their mastermind or something? You know, I remember very clearly, you know, Jordan Harbinger was visiting us and we were walking down the street. I said, hey, Jordan, like, would you want to be a part of mastermind with me? Like, you know, we're, we do similar stuff. You know, you have different challenges than I do. He was just like, yeah, that'd be cool. I haven't been part of one that's really challenging. And I would love to do that. And I said, so who else would you want to be in this group? Like, sky's the limit, whatever. Who cares? Let's just try. Let's try to build the dream group that we want. And he's like, yeah, let's get this person. I would love to have Michael Poor. I was like, wow, Michael Poor. He's somebody I really look up to. He's really done a fantastic job building a great team. I was like, oh, I'm in the software business. I would love to learn from Noah Kagan. He's built, you know, software companies. He was employee 30 at Facebook. Yeah. You know, like, I just would never think he would have time for us. But we approached them. I said, hey, Jordan and I want to start a mastermind group. This is who we want to you know, have in the group. Are you guys cool? And they said yes. And they're like, yeah, this is exactly what we've been looking for. This is fantastic. Let's keep it like this group. And sometimes you just take things in your own hands. And I was just like so grateful that I did that. I was mm -hmm. like so glad that I decided to build it myself rather than wait for somebody to invite me or try to find a group or happen organically or whatever. But 
I just took initiative and I think it really paid off because that group has pushed me really hard because they're really brutally honest with me. And like, why are you doing it like this? Like they question all my decisions and I'm like, it hurt in the moment, but I'm like, <laughs> yeah. they're right. They're right. I need to <laughs> right. rethink this. I need to change my strategy. And it's been fantastic. So, man, just like a lot of my guests, Omar, I'm sure you and I can sit here and talk for another three hours about this kind of stuff. But we do need to move on to something I like to call the random round, which is just a few quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Ready. This is the random round. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Stand up comedian. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Thomas Jefferson, just a revolutionary thinker, somebody who was ahead of his time, just somebody that I think I would learn a lot from. How do you like to learn best? Books, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Books, definitely. What is one of your favorites that you've read recently? Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. There's so many, but if I had to say, yeah, like the first thing you need to pick up right now is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, his autobiography. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Uh, wake up in the morning, see if the cat did something in the litter. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, wash my face, you know, do the whole bathroom thing. And then I uh, had make myself some breakfast. I usually spend 30 minutes where I just eat my breakfast while watching basketball highlights. I usually like watch first take or or something like that, you know. And then after the 30 minutes, I put my, you know, clean up and then I just get to work. I like to start my day with the most creative stuff, the stuff that, mm-hmm. like content, whether it's recording the podcast, whether it's writing blog posts, whether it's writing emails, that stuff requires the best brain cells of the day. Yeah. So I like to focus on that first for the first four hours. I take lunch and then I focus on the other stuff, whether it's like management or following up on messages on Slack or email. What is your go-to pump-up song? Mm, Dancing in the Dark by, I know that sounds uh, odd, but Dancing in the Dark <laughs> by the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Just because I think it's like the, if you listen to the lyrics, it's like the entrepreneurial theme song. I think it's just really good. What are you not very good at? I'm not very good at social life. Like Nicole is the person that is very good at making sure that our social calendar is we do things on the weekend we go to live music we meet up with friends like if it was up to me i'd probably stay home and work on (laughs) certain things or just watch a movie or something it's not that i don't like doing it it's just that it's not on top of mind and she's very good at that so i'm glad that somebody's normal you know (laughs) (laughs) all right so get everything wrapped up here omar what is one place online where we'll be able to find you the most i would say email so if you ever go on our website, the $100 MBA or Webinar Ninja on the bottom, you'll see a contact. If you want to reach out to me, you could just say, hey, I'd love to talk to Omar or email. You can get, it'll get forwarded to me and I'll, uh, I'll definitely, that's the easiest way to get in touch with me because my inbox is kind of the way I, I talk. Not as active on social as I used to be. I've, I'm taking a social media hiatus this year. Yeah, that's the best way to get in touch with me. And I'm always uh, happy to reply to people's emails. So head on over to 100mba.net to learn more about Omar and reach out via email. Say what's up. Omar, thanks so much for coming on the show today, man. Had a ton of fun. No problem, man. Take care. That's all for this episode of Build Your Network. Your next step is to visit byn.media slash FB to join in on our Facebook group for more personal engagement, proven strategies and tactics to reach your ultimate goals. That's byn.media forward slash FB. Remember, you're only one connection away.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.